Welcome back to all the listeners of the CFC 365 podcast. We are here again for another transfer slash Chelsea talk related episode. Last time out, we had Nathan Gissing on the episode and that was really, really great. Thank you so much for the support on that and all the responses and also the five-star ratings that you guys have been giving us on Spotify. Really, really appreciate it. In this episode, we are here with a member of the Athletics Chelsea team in the form of Liam Toomey. Liam, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, Sort of been trying to enjoy the lull between the the chaos of the ownership change and um and you know like transfers really kicking in but obviously things are starting to gain a bit of momentum now there's never a truly quiet time on the Chelsea beat no there's not <laughs> you're 100% spot on there it's really good to hear as well that you're doing all good so I think to kick off this episode we'll get right into it Liam I want to hear your overall thoughts on Todd Bowley's time in Chelsea so far because obviously it's a small portion size you could say but um, or a small sample size I could say either or but it seems like he's established uh, or stabilised the, the club financially he's been talking to Thomas Tuchel about targets and things like that and it, and it seems like he's on the phone a lot you know we've already tried to hijack Rafinha which we're going to talk about from Arsenal there was reports that we tried to hijack Richarlison late on as well from Spurs so the intent is clearly there albeit no signings yet Liam yeah, well, when it comes to Bowley, I think there are a couple of things um, that have struck me in these early weeks. Um, one is that there's been more change at the top of the club than I anticipated there would be this early on. I mean, the, you know, the impression we were being given around the time of the takeover was that Bowley and Clear Lake would kind of take time and assess all the football departments, well, all the departments of the club. Um, before kind of making making big changes to the way things were operating because I think they wanted to get a sense close up of, as you do whenever, I imagine you, well, I've not taken over any businesses, but I'd imagine when you do, you tend to uh, try and feel things out early on. And they had to do very rapid due diligence as part of this wholesale process. So, you know, I think they're still kind of familiarizing themselves with things. So within that context, it was surprising to see less so Bruce Blackleaf, but certainly Marina Granovskaya, um, just given how across all of the football operations that she was. Um, and, you know, the, the extensive list of contacts and relationships that she, she'd already built up in European football. And now most recently we've seen Petr Cech leave as well. So it's really a clean, a clean sweep, really. Um, everything in between, Thomas Tuchel and Todd Bowley on the football side of things, apart from, you know, you would say Scott McLaughlin and the scouting structure um, is gone. And, and so they are navigating this transfer window, a very important transfer window, um, really with sort of Bowley and Tuchel <laughs> as, the, as the two sort of primary decision makers, it feels like. Uh, they certainly seem to be leading a, a much more streamlined process. Uh, and the other that leads into the other aspect of this, which is I don't think anyone expected, based on what we were hearing before the takeover, that that Bowley would name himself interim sporting director. Um, he's been remarkably hands-on when it comes to the football side of the club. And and you know, the the, the part of that that people see most and people are in, most interested in is is the the transfers, the negotiations, trying to get deals over the line. And he has been the one directly pounding the phones and, and getting in touch with executives at other clubs and meeting up with agents. Some of that's been 
reported publicly. There's been a lot more going on behind the scenes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been really surprising because, you know, this guy's a billionaire businessman with lots of other, <laughs> lots of other business interests. Um, and he's still involved in the Dodgers and, and, Albeit, I don't think he ever operated this way with the Dodgers, partly because he wasn't the operating owner as he is here. Uh, but it's just really surprising to see himself be so hands-on, given his lack of um, experience within European football. And we can't prejudge it. We don't know what's going to happen, but it, it's just very, very unusual. Yeah, exactly. What do you think might have happened then with Marina? Because obviously, as you said, like all the intel we got, you know, through, you know, uh, social media and I'm sure you heard stuff as well at the Athletic was that they would kind of stay at Marina you know basically everyone even Bruce Buck would stay through this so-called transitional period um, and it sort of made sense right as you said she's got a lot of contacts um, particularly we're going to talk about Jules Conde later on in the episode so what changed like why, why was it so sudden do you, do you think that it's just because Todd Bowley didn't want to be that sort of sit back sort of operating owner he wanted to do all the negotiating maybe marina had less power like it was all very quick and sudden wasn't it well i think there's always a distinction between what people say when they're when they're pitching to take over a club and what they actually do once they have taken over the club um, because then the you know then there are no limits except the ones that they impose for themselves um and you know, we also have to factor in there may be things that we don't know yet that have happened in the last few weeks that may come to light at further down the line that fed into Bowley and Clear Lake's decision to, to make such a quick, clean break with the previous ownership or the previous hierarchy of the club. Um, but I, you know, I, I just get the sense that Bowley and and we have to say Bowley and Clear Lake because they are it is a joint governance arrangement. Uh, I know people talk about Todd Bowley because he's the face of it and he's the one we always see. Um, and on the football side of things, he will be the one handling, you know, the the day to day decisions or at least being the front of them. But Clear Lake own two thirds of the club, so they they will be they're the they're the ones who are trusting Bowley to operate it for them essentially. Um, but I think what happened. My my instinct, and it's not necessarily as informed as I would like it to be at this point, but my instinct of what's happened is they just very quickly reached a conclusion that in order to take the club in the direction they wanted to, um, which was very, I, I think they were aware that they didn't have a lot of time to get hit the ground running in this transfer window, given when the takeover was completed. Um, and in order to do what they needed to get done this summer, they needed a more streamlined structure um, and Bowley was more than happy to, to get his own hands in, um, in terms of, in terms of the transfer process. And they, they're determined to empower Tuchel. Um, they're, you know, he's the one that they see as central to, to what happens next at Chelsea. Uh, and they want to try and help him build this team properly in his image. Uh, and I think, they, for one reason or another, again, there may be things we don't know, but I think they reached the conclusion that, that that would have been a lot harder to achieve or maybe progress would have been a lot slower uh, with Granovskaya, with, with, with Czech. Um, Buck's a different question because, you know, he wasn't running the football operations. He was kind of the, you know, the figurehead who dealt with 
the Premier League and governing bodies. And to be honest, his value um, in that regard was had been greatly diminished um, since the whole Super League debacle, because much like Ed Woodward, Buck was someone who was vilified among other Premier League clubs um, for his role in that. He was seen as one of the plotters. So I think his value to Bowley and Clear Lake in that sense was pretty limited. Um, and the, the, indeed, the first Premier League meeting that took place after Bowley and Clear Lake took over, um, Bowley and Bedad Egbali uh, went themselves. They attended themselves to kind of show their faces and start building those relationships more directly. So that was maybe the first sign that they didn't see Buck and by extension Granovskaya and the other members of the old board as particularly essential for what's happening now. Yeah, so it definitely shocked all us fans. I know that and I'm sure, um, you know, shocked everyone, the reporters and, and everyone else as well. Um, I was going to ask you, actually, this ties in. A few fans have been asking me to ask you about the sporting director role in the future. Obviously, it's early days at the moment. Todd Bowley is running the operations, running the transfer market, um, as we've been told. But how important is it, Liam, this next appointment that Todd Bowley clear like might make for the sporting director in the future whether it be ahead of January window or next summer because some fans are saying for me to ask you that they're a bit concerned that Thomas Tuchel is going to get really used to all this power now um, this mm. summer and then next summer the sporting director will sort of have his own targets may not get along with Tuchel I think some fans are referencing Leonardo and um his time at Dortmund as well, a few fans are saying similar happened there. I'm not sure if he if he work well with a new sporting director because we was told that he had a great relationship with Granis Kaya. Do you believe he's going to be able to adapt, um, albeit when that sporting director decision happens? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, and I think I understand the concern because you look around European football and this arrangement tends to work better when the sporting director is in place before the coach and the sporting director helps hire the coach where you often run into problems is, is when the coach is there and the sporting director is brought in over him um, and they, their visions don't necessarily align, which is, you know, the situation that could play out here. And I think that's why it's really important that Bowley and Clear Lake um, do get this right and appoint someone who, who has a recruitment vision that aligns with what the way they want to run the club, you know, more financially efficient with an eye for sort of under more along the sort of FSG model. And I know Michael Edwards has been mentioned um, as someone that Chelsea are looking at, but it also has to be someone that um, clicks with Tuchel. You know, there, there can't be immediate um, tension between the two of them. There can't be a sense of, Tuchel feeling like this is being imposed on him because if that happens, it, it won't end well. And we we do know that yeah, Tuchel had problems with Sven Mislintat at Borussia Dortmund. He had problems with Leonardo, although I think quite a lot of people have had problems with Leonardo. I'm not sure whether that was, yeah, that's true. <laughs> whether that necessarily reflects on Tuchel. Um, so it yeah, it's a key relationship. It's the key relationship on the football side of the club, and it's very important that whoever does come in. Um, develops a positive relationship and a high degree of trust with Tuchel um, from, from the early days and to make sure that everyone is on the same page at the start and remains on the same page. As for whether he'll get 
you know, drunk on all this transfer power. We we just don't know, do we? Um, and Tuchel has never had this level of input in his career. He's always been, he's come from very much coaching background. Um, and he's, he's always worked at clubs where there, there has been someone in that, in that role. Um, and he is, you know, like he obviously he has opinions on players. There are players he likes, players he doesn't, but he's always worked within structures like that. And when he was hired by Chelsea, he showed a good a good willingness to work within Chelsea's structure. He he's never he never pushed against it, and that was a key reason why he had such a good relationship with Granovskaya and with Czech, particularly with Czech. Actually, um, they 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 clicked very early on. Um, so. Yeah, it's a key appointment. We don't get the sense that Chelsea are, you know, imminently close to to appointing anyone to that job. I think it's going to be quite difficult, honestly, to get someone really highly regarded with, within the industry to come into that job in the middle of a transfer window. I think most of those people will probably want a bit of lead-in time and a bit of planning time to get the get the operation running the way they want to. So maybe maybe in the autumn we might see a bit more progress. Um, and that's another reason why Bowley has stepped into the breach in the meantime. Yeah, and um, we've got a question here, actually. It just sort of ties into this. So, obviously, he was mentioned about Tuchel's never really had this sort of transfer power. Now, it's very, very interesting. Obviously, we don't know the reliability of these reports, but Jules Kunde, Liam, seems to be more, or was maybe, is more of a board target. Would you agree? Because it seems like, I mean, right now it seems like Tuchel really likes Matthias De Ligt. And the other one that's been mentioned is Nathan Ake. Now, Jules Kunde was high up on Chelsea's list for months. Like, it seemed imminent. But now it seems like he might be Alexandro V2. You know, it might just <laughs> end up not coming to Chelsea. So, was this more of a Granov Sky-led target? Because, obviously, she had a great relationship with Kunde's agents. And it, it just... It's like it's very, very interesting that now he doesn't seem to be such a priority now. Grand of Sky has left. Well, look, I think we, we we have to be careful about how these how we present this because I, you know, I've talked about this before. I don't I don't agree with the description of board signings or Granite like Grand of Sky never decided, never chose Chelsea's transfer targets. The decisions she made about deals tended to be more pragmatic and financial. She wasn't making football decisions based on this is the best player for Chelsea. Um, but Kunde is certainly someone that Chelsea's recruitment network have been closely monitoring for a long time. Uh, so the, the, their interest in him predates Tuchel, certainly. Um, whether that means he Tuchel is less keen, I, I don't know. It, it, it does seem to have... It does seem to have shifted, I agree. I think De Ligt is, is top of the list right now. Um, that is someone that Tuchel really likes. I think he 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 wants he wants big physical centre backs that can that can cope with the that aspect of the Premier League, but also guys that are really comfortable on the ball, progressing the ball quickly out of defence. Um, and given Delict's Ajax pedigree, you know he he ticks those boxes. Um, and the one you know. The one question I've always had about Kunde personally is just whether, given his height, I think he's what 5'10", 5'11", he's, he's a bit on the shorter side. Could he survive as a centre-back in the Premier League, particularly if you were ever going to switch to a back four? Um, or does that kind of hamstring you a little bit 
a little bit and box you into a back three wing back system. Um, so that that's another aspect to consider. But I'd, yeah, I mean, it, that shift, that apparent shift from, from Kunde to Delict has sort of loosely coincided with Tuchel getting more influence um, over the players that Chelsea are targeting. So it's tempting to see that. I don't know for sure if that is the if that's the reason. Um, and I don't think it's the case that I, I don't get the sense that Tuchel doesn't like Kunde. You know, he's he's pretty much universally regarded as one of the best young centre-backs in, in Europe. He's in the France squad. He's clearly a very, very good player. This is all degrees of preference we're talking. Um, but it does seem right now like De Ligt is uh, the guy that Tuchel prefers. Yeah, fair enough. I believe we've actually got another question here to tie sort of tie into that. So just find it. It says, um, yeah, it's basically asking about sort of the leadership qualities, Liam of the Ligt, you've actually just mentioned there. So the question says, since Tuchel is trying to bring signs in like De Ligt and potentially Raheem Sterling, who have leadership qualities, is that something he found a problem with in the dressing room last year? Um yeah, that's, that's basically the question. There was another bit we just talked about Kunde. So, yeah, the whole question is about has Suko had problems with leadership or or is it not related to that, really? Um, I mean, you know, we have had a succession of Chelsea coaches question the mentality of these players. Uh, and the, 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 the squad of players has changed over that time. But I remember, you know, going back, Conte, Sarri, Lampard, they all referred to it in one form or another. Um and Tuchel hasn't been particularly explicit about leadership. I think he, I think he sees those things much more in in terms of, you know, the the technical needs of the team and the idea that every player should bring the right intensity and take responsibility for their own performance. I think, you know, ideally he would want eleven leaders in that sense, um, just taking responsibility for themselves, but. I think they're also aware, having said that, they're also very, very aware that having lost Antonio Rudiger for nothing, they've not just lost a guy who was performing at the level where he was one of the best centre-backs in Europe under in Tuchel's tenure. They've also lost a dominant personality in that dressing room, someone who was really respected um, and, you know, a, re- a really forceful personality. Um, and... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if that is another tick next to Delict's name because you know, this is a guy who captained Ajax as a teenager. He's he's clearly got those qualities in in spades, and there there aren't many players of his age um, that have that have worn the captain's armband so many times and and so clearly so clearly sort of direct teammates and, and rally teammates on the pitch. I mean, Declan Rice would be another one, but there aren't many of those characters around European football that have those qualities so obviously. Um, but I think Chelsea are optimistic as well internally that players like Mason Mount, Reese James can grow into those roles. I think you know, we've already seen Mason Mount captain Chelsea a couple of times. I think it's something he'd love to do more regularly in future. Reese James certainly has his eye on it as well. Um, in the long term so you can never have too many players with those with those kind of qualities but um, I think they've already got some they're just looking they're looking to try and fill that Rudiger void not just with 
a defender, but with a certain type of personality. Yeah, you made some great points there, honestly. Really, really good information as well. So um, just on the Mason Mount and Bruce James point there, I absolutely agree that they can grow into those leadership qualities. There's also been something mentioned about maybe perhaps why Chelsea would like to re-sign Declan Rice because not only is he Premier League proven, but obviously got huge leadership qualities as well for West Ham. So I was just going to ask you a little bit about Rhys James and Mason Mount contract situations. Anything going on? Is it, is it active or is Todd Bowley sort of concentrating on, on the transfer market right now? He's a bit busy. Um, <laughs> it, transfers are definitely the priority. I'm not aware that there's been any serious discussion with the new owners yet. It's something that will have to be a priority as soon as this window closes, particularly with Mount, because he's got two years left. He's one of the lower earners in the squad, despite being the club's player of the year the last two seasons. You know, so that that is something that urgently needs to be addressed. When you have a player of that prominence, um, a homegrown symbol of the club who's performed so consistently and so well, he needs to be valued in line with in line with what he's contributing. Um, Tuchel sees him as indispensable. So he's when particularly within the context of looking around Europe and looking at how many other players are running their contracts down and gaining leverage over clubs. It's even more important that Chelsea are proactive with Mount and with James. So James has got an extra year, um, but it's still something they need to address because if you leave these things too long, they can begin to fester a bit and they, they can begin to become sources of tension when you finally do get around the table with with people and they, you know, they're, they're, they're basically thinking, well, why didn't this conversation happen earlier? Now, Chelsea's new owners, of course, have a great excuse. We weren't here. <laughs> um, so they, you know, they can, they can start from scratch and, ha- and have a real clean slate in those discussions when they start to take place um, because they don't have to own any, any perceived mistakes from the previous ownership in terms of, you know, not being proactive enough with those talks. But it, they do need to do it because right now, you know, I, I think I, I saw Matt Law um, write in the Telegraph earlier this summer that, you know, there was a perception that Chelsea's wage bill was upside down. And I think that's bang on. And it's something that, you know, we've heard along different lines as well. You know, you you had Lukaku as the top earner until a few days ago, until he went to Inter. And you've got a lot of a lot of forwards who haven't produced their best football at Chelsea in the top of that pay structure. And then towards the bottom, you had you had Rudiger and Christensen, and they're gone because they didn't feel like they were being properly valued. Um, and you've still got Mountain James in that in that kind of lower band, and they've been two of Tuchel's most crucial players. And certainly, you would look at it and say they're two of the the foundational pillars moving forward. So they they need to be valued as such. Yeah, exactly. And I'd, I'd assume that Rhys James's and Mason Mount's priority is to stay at Chelsea, surely, as long as the as the contract offer is good enough. And I think a lot of fans have been asking as well, like to you, Liam, because they are some of the lowest or towards the lower earners, how like do you think a, a big big contract offer will, will be sort of the tipping point or, or do you think they'll, you know, essentially settle maybe in the middle because it's Chelsea and they want to stay? Like, like, what do you think is going to happen when those contract negotiations do actually start? Because obviously, the, I mean, for me, they both deserve to be up towards the, the top earners. It's just, 
you know, will they demand that kind of like Rudiger did or because it's Chelsea, because it's their boyhood club, potentially will they just look at, you know, I, I don't know the figures, but you, you kind of get the point where I'm getting at. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to explain, but yeah. <laughs> I hope you get no, it. I know what you mean. I, I, I don't think Chelsea are going to get any hometown discounts. No, um, they didn't with John Terry. You know, there were even flirtations with Manchester City at one point in his career. You know, there are already other clubs, right? Chelsea's rival clubs domestically and in Europe who are monitoring the Mountain James situations um, with considerable interest because that's what, that's what clubs are doing now because, because now we're seeing the way the market operates and so many players are running their contracts down and either being sold with a year left or actually going into free agency it's becoming a lot more of a conscious strategy at other clubs to keep tabs keep really close tabs on where players are with their contract situations um so that's something that you know i i don't get the sense that mount and james are courting that i think they do want to stay at chelsea but the interest is there because of how good they are um and because the situation is what it is so if chelsea want to keep them I think they're going to have to pay them uh, in line with their importance to the team. And as long as you're not wasting money on, on you know, transfer, on, uh, as long as you're not wasting vast chunks of your wage bill on players that aren't contributing at the very highest level, that shouldn't be difficult to do. It shouldn't be difficult to make Mount and, and James sort of in the top five earners in the squad. Um, if they're performing at that level, it shouldn't be an issue at all. Um, so I, I, but I do think that's what it's going to take, uh, and the new owners are going to have to do that. And I, I would be surprised if they're not prepared to do that because I, I think it would be a big blow to them. Uh, it'd be a big blow PR wise. It'd be a big blow t- uh, to Tuchel as well because they're two really important players to to how he wants to play. Um, I just don't think it's in anyone's interest for them to get cute in those negotiations. Exactly, hundred percent agree as well when it comes to Rich James. For me. I mean, they're both priorities, but Rhys James, for me, the most all-rounded right-back in the world. I know he's playing right wing-back at the moment, but he's just, yeah, he's one of my favourite Chelsea players. I hope those negotiations go really, really well and he does accept to stay when they come. So, Chelsea fans, you can relax. It may not be happening yet, but it will happen. Those negotiations will kick off in the coming months, most likely. So, Liam, let's move on to more the transfer-related activity. I know Chelsea, you know, you've said Todd Bowley's been, you know, banging on the phones and stuff like that, but there's no signings in yet. Chelsea's players, I believe, return tomorrow, correct? Some of them um, for pre-season. And I think the internationals are coming back on July the 9th, if I'm correct. So, Liam, I want to start off with kind of the elephant in the room at the moment, Rafinha. Where do we start on this? Because Chelsea come and snatch him off Arsenal, 55 million plus add-ons bid. Now Deco, his agent, seems to be trying to follow up on, you know, his client's Barca wishes. What do you know about this situation and what are your overall thoughts, really? Because from my perspective, I know it's not been reported or anything yet, but Todd Bowley, for me, seems not like the guy you want to mess around with. I think that he might, I'm not saying we'll pull the plug, but I think there's got to be a deadline for this because you can't have a player that you've agreed a fee with, say, oh, no, I'm waiting for Barca. Let's wait for their financial situation. Because surely, even from the player's side, you want clarity. You want to be kicking off for pre-season and stuff. So the situation seems to be a bit of a mess at the moment, doesn't it? It is, yeah. And I think, as you know, as you say, I think it's one that's a bit fraught on all sides because 
Rafinha, clearly his first preference is, is Barcelona. You know, I'm not saying anything that people don't know there. It's, it's very obvious from the way he's acting that he wants to join Barcelona. And he's a, he's a Brazilian. You know, how many brilliant Brazilians have played for Barcelona? It's no surprise that it would be his dream. Um, and Chelsea have put themselves in position whereby if Barcelona can't do the deal, uh, Chelsea are there to do the deal. They have they they're in the strongest position in that they have the agreement with Leeds. They're the only club to have an agreement with Leeds to have satisfied their demands, um, and it's just about satisfying the player. And I think if it was just down to wages, they could absolutely satisfy Rafinha. But what we're seeing here is it's clearly not just about money for him. You know, he 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 does. If he, ha- if he has a chance to join Barcelona, he wants to give them every chance to sign him. Uh, that is awkward for Chelsea because I think they do, they, they need to try and get as much of their business done, if not before the first team group meet up in LA on July the 9th, uh, then uh, you know pretty much ASAP after that. Because I think we've seen in previous years, the years when Chelsea have done well in the league, or had had good seasons and won trophies and and mounted genuine title challenges. It's when they've had a good settled preseason when they've got their transfer business done early, when when they're when a, a high caliber coach has had several weeks to work with his group to really drill them um, so that they can hit the ground running once the once the real football starts. And you know Tuchel will get that benefit. Um, in preseason anyway with the players he has and and of course preseason will have great value to him in terms of taking closer looks at guys like Conor Gallagher, Levi Colwell, Armando Breuer um but they do need the signings as well um they're looking at doing significant business in this window so they 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 try they need to try and get as many of those guys over the line as possible and and when you have delays like this it's, it's not ideal. There has to be a, a moment and none of us know where that point is. Maybe only Todd Bowley knows where his line is and his line in the sand in terms of time. Chelsea won't wait forever because they don't have that luxury. Rafinha can't wait forever either because there's, there's not, you know, there's a possibility for him that Barcelona keep, keep talking and not delivering Chelsea move on Arsenal move on. And and suddenly no one else can afford to get him out of Leeds, and and he's kind of he's put himself out there and looks a bit silly. Um, so there, there's risk on all sides here, and and Leeds, I think you know, are motivated to sell because as as they've done with Calvin Phillips, they want to get their major sales out, done early so they can kick their own recruitment plans into gear. You know, they have to replace these guys and reinvest in the team. Um, so there's so many domino effects, but I do think. You know, and I said this on our straight out Cobham pod as well this week. It feels like so much of the European transfer market is is effectively being held hostage by Barcelona right now, um, because no one knows what they can and can't do. And they keep saying they can do all these deals. They're making all these promises to players. They're telling players to wait for them, um, and we don't know actually whether they've got any money to do these deals. And even if they do generate some money to spend on transfers, is Rafinha their priority or is it Robert Lewandowski? Uh, is it someone else? You know, they, they seem to be stretching themselves beyond their means 
uh, and they're and they're having to try and come up with creative financial ways to generate short-term cash. But can they even register Andreas Christensen or Frank Kessie or you know the other guys that they have free agent agreements with? It, it all seems a mess there at the moment, and there are just a lot of players. You look in the Chelsea squad as well. Marcus Alonso potentially. You know, there's another player who's waiting on Barcelona. Cesar Pilaqueta, of course, has had interest from Barcelona for several months and there's still a bit of uncertainty about him as well. There are just lots of players who don't really know where they stand. And because of that, there are a lot of other clubs that don't really know where they stand yet either. Yeah, 100% agree. And reading your Rafinha piece as well, the tactical piece, I think, he would suit Tuchel's system. And I know you've also mentioned in that that he could be preparing for something maybe like a 4-2-3-1, I think you mentioned. So I do agree. I think Rafinha and Sterling, who we're going to come on to next, they're more of like out-and-out wingers, would you think? Because I think, I, I'm not sure. Like the only doubt I have over this Rafinha signing is, is he really like an inside forward? Like, because we've seen Hakim Ziyech struggle a little bit. Kind of like, I, I'd, I'd sort of associate Rafinha as sort of kind of like a touchline winger, more space to sort of, you know, dribble, get past players, you know, beat players. Kind of what I see like Chelsea's um, interest in Usman Dembele as well. Like Usman Dembele for me is not an inside forward. So at some, you know, some extent, I'm looking at the squad planning from Thomas Tuchel and think like, does it really add up? Because if we want to go to a four at the back formation, then surely then Chelsea need to buy a defensive midfielder, but obviously Rice is very, very expensive. So, like, just to, if you can expand a little bit more, like, on your piece of, of Rafinha and how you think he would sort of fit into the Chelsea team if he does actually eventually come. Well, when I when I was watching, you know, more detailed footage of him in the course of putting that piece together, it did strike me how similar he is to Ziyech in lots of ways. I mean, he's faster. I'd say he's, he's a a bit less predictable, partly because of that speed in 1v1s. Although, I mean, Ziyech is very skillful, but he doesn't necessarily have the speed to, to burst away from a player once he's beaten them. But in, in terms of, you know, the passes that they can play, the positions they take up when they're receiving the ball, um, those kind of devilish in-swinging crosses and, and cross-field through balls and, and all this sort of thing, they are quite similar. So I, I think the questions about how Rafinha would fit into Chelsea's current system are are valid um, because you know when you have when you have Reese James bombing on outside you and you're you're operating in the sort of right half space or you're dropping a little bit deeper so James can can bomb forward which is what often happens in Chelsea's system on on the right and the left um, it's not necessarily the most natural role for an aggressive winger like like Rafinha. Yeah, I think he was generally used. I was talking to Phil Hay, our Leeds guy, who was saying he was generally used in like a four-one-four-one on the right of that, occasionally on the left for Leeds, um, where he essentially had the flank. You know, he had the occasional overlap in fullback, but the the right flank was his. Um, so yeah, I do think that's a question, and and I you know I do think there's there's it's certainly a live possibility that Tuchel is recruiting with a back four in mind rather than rather than just purely a, a back three and wing backs. I mean, you know, we've always been told the main reason why Tuchel devised the system that he did when he came into Chelsea was pragmatically 
he wanted he wanted a system that would um, be the best fit for the players that he had, and and in particular, guys like Thiago Silva and Jorginho, they've been extremely effective for Chelsea in that system for Tuchel. But they, the system also is there to protect them um, and to make sure they don't have too much ground to cover, um, and and it's not so easy for for opposition teams to get at them. Um, so. Yeah, if you're if you're then switching to a back four system, you need reinforcements right across the pitch, don't you? Because you they're they're looking at two defenders most likely already, two central defenders. You'd need cover at fullback, um, but probably both fullback positions. So that's effectively an entirely new defence. Um, yeah. They need they need at least I think one midfielder. Even if you're saying maybe Conor Gallagher gets a chance this year, I think you, you probably need to bring one midfielder in. Uh, and then Tuchel is adamant that he needs to refresh his attack as well. So that's a lot of business. And it it also necessitates a lot of outward business as well, which isn't easy to do, given everyone's on Chelsea money and very few clubs can afford that. So, so why do you think then that Tuchel is priority isn't the midfield because I mean last season for me going to games like Jorginho's performances in my opinion really faltered off Kante was not looking the same Kante's definitely not the same player of course he can have world-class performances and stuff but he's nowhere near as consistent as he was a few years ago and Kante and Kovacic both have injury history Kovacic usually gets one a season where he's out for a month Kante is you know even in the over the last international break I think he had to pull out of the France camp because of an injury again so, Conor Gallagher comes in, but for me, he's more of an eight. He's not really a pivot player. So, why do you think the priority isn't so much on the midfield? Is it just a case of Tugel's happy with what he got? Maybe, maybe he looks at someone like Ethan Ampadu as being a defensive midfielder, Billy Gilmore. But for me, it's just strange that we haven't focused more on the midfield. Does he only want Declan Rice is another question I'm thinking in my head. Like... Is he, yeah, is he just prepared to wait for Rice or, or no one? You know, <laughs> I just, it's really confusing from a fan's point of view. Well, I, th- I think a big part of it is, you know, just realism and knowing that you have to prioritise. Chelsea won't necessarily get everything they want or everything they need in this transfer window. It's, it's limited time uh, to do all of this stuff. And there's also limited money. I mean, you know, Bowley and Clear Lake have a lot of money behind them, but you know, Bowley's already in one of the few sort of public comments he's he's made since he took over the club. He's already mentioned FFP as a consideration um, for for the way they'll have to operate in the transfer market. So they're they're not going to come in and just drop, you know, three four hundred million to to buy all these players across the pitch that Chelsea might need. And at the moment, the defence has to be the priority because you've just lost two first-team centre-backs for nothing. Um, and really, the only the only true centre-backs in the squad that are under contract for next season are Thiago Silva, who is in his late... Well, past his mid-30s. Malang Saar, who I'm, I'm not convinced necessarily factors into Tuchel's first-team plans next season anyway. And Trevor Chalaber. Um, so they, they need something big there they need at least one key starter probably two um and that's going to take a significant chunk out of whatever you do and then beyond that you know i think Tuchel wants a certain profile of forward um 
he, he wants a certain profile of uh, a kind of more aggressive winger, um, like like Rafinha, like Usman Dembele. It wouldn't, I don't, it wouldn't be both. It would be one or the other. Um, and Sterling could well be not obviously not like for like, but could well be more the Lukaku replacement in terms of one out, one in. And I could see maybe Sterling being used in more central areas at times, depending on the opponent and the situation and exactly how Chelsea line up. Uh, but it, it's just a case of priorities at the moment in midfield. Yes, Kante and Jorginho, you know, they're both sort of creaking in different ways, but they both have one year. They're, they're both still under contract for another year. I think uh, Kovacic is 2024 as well. So you've got a little bit more contractual stability in that area of the pitch and you've got Conor Gallagher that, that you can use who's who likewise is under contract for a long period of time they just triggered the extension in Gilmore so you at least have bodies and Loftus-Cheek of course um, you don't necessarily have everything you want there but I think this if if you're not hearing much about Chelsea and central midfield right now I think it's just a recognition of the fact that they 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 can't get everything they need in this window and they have to prioritize. Yeah, I know some fans will not saying it's your opinion, but uh, you know, some fans I talk to are like, well, the priority should be midfield, Thomas Tuchel. But um yeah, I know people will agree or disagree on that. So you mentioned Raheem Sterling there, Liam. We've been told and we've heard, you know, um that he would be quite open to a move to Chelsea. Is that your understanding? You know, obviously he's a London boy. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, I think would actually be quite an exciting signing for Chelsea. I know, again, I know you're probably not browsing on Twitter all day like me, but uh, some fans are kind of 50-50 over this from the overall view. Some fans say misses too many chances. Other fans say, no, he's fantastic. So what's your understanding on the whole situation of Raheem Sterling? If I had to, if I had to say right now, I'd say it probably gets done um, purely because... I think it's in the interests of of all the major parties to do it. Chelsea clearly want him. Um, Tuchel, Tuchel likes him specifically as a player. Uh, Man City need to raise, you know, cash to to sort of balance their own recruitment with FFP. Um, and I think City have long had um, a stance with their with their players in the squad that they don't want to keep unhappy players, players that are unhappy with their minutes or unhappy with their situations. They did the same with Ferran Torres at Barcelona, you know, and, and of course Leroy Sane at Bayern as well. Even if these guys are talented players and it, and it hurts to lose them, if, if they want to go and, and the money is right, um, then City are prepared to sell them even to a domestic rival. And that's the thing, like Chelsea are the only suitor um, for for Sterling, as far as I understand it, that might change. But right now, they're the only club that are viable for him, and um, and he only has a year left. So this is City's last chance to to cash in. So I think it's in City's interest. It's in Sterling's interest because he has a chance to go to another big English club and and be a much more central figure in what they're doing. I think he you know he would he would play a lot of minutes for Tuchel. Judging by the level of investment and the and the you know the the level of enthusiasm that Tuchel has for him, um, 
And yeah, I, I just, I don't, I, I think it's very likely that it gets done just because I think it's in everyone's interest. But in, in terms of the way he's perceived as a signing, I think part of the reason why it's polarising, apart from the fact that everything seems to be polarising now, um, is that he's not, he's not exotic, is he? He, we we've been watching Raheem Sterling in the Premier League forever. Uh, we know we know we feel like we know his game intimately. We we know all the things he does well. We're we're really familiar with all the warts in his game as well. Um, and he can be frustrating to watch at times. There's no doubt about that. But he's he's got really good, really considerable strengths as well. He's excellent at getting into goal scoring positions. I think he's really improved that area of his game under Guardiola, really worked on making those runs. He's a very smart player. Um, and he's 27. You know, you, you, he, he's not necessarily the normal profile of player that Chelsea might target, sort of 24 and under on the way up, but he's in his prime years. He, he's because he's only got a year left, he's not going to be an absolutely silly price. Um, and you should get what three, four more good years out of him of, of high level production. And he he has broadly been pretty consistent, I think, in his Premier League career. So I, I, I think he'd be a good signing for Chelsea. I think he's quite a smart signing, even if he's not necessarily the most exciting sign. He's not a Brazilian winger. He's not a you know, he's not a dynamic winger from Spain that you don't watch every week. He, he he's He's someone that we, we know very well, but I don't think that should diminish the fact that he's a very good player. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it'd be a fantastic starting person, in my opinion. Um, we've got another question here from a fan, direct message me. Seems like we're jumping back and forth in the positions, but it's just what's cropped up. He said, can you ask Liam, let's say, in a hypothetical way, let's say to assume Delict will be the right centre-back signing. Can you ask Liam who will be, or who you think he will can't speak. Who do you think Liam will be the left centre back spot signing? Nathan Ake, Kim Pembe or Gavardio? And then he's put in brackets. Gavardio has gone a bit quiet. Probably going to stay. He's put. Well, it looks like um, it looks like RB Leipzig are in a very strong position with Guardiola, and and they're pricing him accordingly. Um, and I think that if there's a reason why that's gone quiet, that's probably why. Um, Kim Pembe. Not quite sure where PSG are with him, how just how expendable he might be. We know PSG need to raise money across certain areas, and he does seem to be someone that Tuchel still likes. Um, so that's that's possible. But we we do know Tuchel likes Ake, um, and and he's got again a bit like Delict. Obviously, although I know a lot of fans probably wouldn't rate him in the same way. But in terms of being very comfortable on the ball, progressing the ball. Um, as well as having defensive fundamentals. I think he ticks a lot of the boxes that that Tuchel looks for. He's played fairly extensively in midfield in, in his career, Ake, as well. So he's he's got that comfort level um, on the ball that should, that should make him very useful to a high-possession team. Um, the concern you'd have, of course, is that, you know, you're, you're, you are, unlike with Sterling, who has been a key player with City for a long time and has only really recently fallen out of favour, Ake was signed as a, as a reserve and he's been a reserve for City. He's a squad player. And he's also someone that Chelsea had a £40 million option to buy when he was at Bournemouth before City signed him. And they took a long, hard look at him and decided that 
he wasn't they could do they could do better basically um so that it that change in judgment now probably tells you more than anything else about Tuchel's growing influence um on on Chelsea's recruitment policy because it's clear that that one is being driven by Tuchel's opinion of the player rather than the opinion that Chelsea formed on him as recently as a, as a couple of years ago. Uh, so I don't know. So far, City have said they don't want to sell Ake, um, and he he doesn't seem like he's he seems like he, he, from from the outside he looks like he'd be happy coming back to Chelsea or happy staying at City. He doesn't seem to be pushing for for any particular outcome. Um, so. It, it's quite hard to say at this stage and and it's perfectly possible that a name you haven't mentioned emerges as well, because that's just the way transfer windows are. You, you'll go down the list of players and you'll end up with one that you can actually get. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Those are sort of the three that we've mainly heard about for sort of the left-sided defense. Okay. Very, very strong recently. Um, the next fan question, we've got a couple more, Liam. One is on outgoings, one is on the attack again. So let's go with the attack one, as we've just kind of talked about Raheem Sterling. He says, is it safe to assume that Thomas Tuchel will not be signing an out-and-out striker now and will go with a sort of more fluid front three, hence the likes rumours he will use Raheem Sterling as maybe a false nine? Seems like he really, really trusts Havertz going into next season. Yeah, I think... I- you know, I think towards the latter stage of last season, Tuchel seemed to settle into the conclusion that that Havertz was the best fit to to be the focal point of the attack, given how versatile he is, dropping back to link play, also how good he is pressing um, and generating ball recoveries high up the pitch. Um, you know, I think Gabriel Jesus was someone that Chelsea looked at as well before Arsenal signed him. Not, not least because he's one of the best pressing number nines around. Um, I don't know how much he would have <laughs> addressed Chelsea's problems finishing chances because he wasn't always the most clinical at City either. But that, I think that side of his game certainly appealed to Chelsea and, and was also a reason why Arsenal were keen on him. Uh, but we haven't heard anything recently to suggest that there are other focal point number nines high on the agenda. I don't... I don't necessarily take that to to mean that Tuchel wouldn't like one, but again, it comes down to I think the priorities and also market opportunities. I think because yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I've the ones I can think of. Maybe I'm just thinking of Serie A lately. You've got Victor Osimhen, who would cost a lot of money. There's the young Italian striker, I think Scamacca, who's wanted by PSG. Yeah, there's there's not really many out and out strikers out there that would be available, in my opinion. So. Maybe that factors into the decision as well. Yeah, I mean, City got the big one early. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think Chelsea looked at Darwin Nunes, but it, it's perfectly possible that Liverpool might not even play him as an out-and-out nine. They might actually play him off the left of their attack. So, um, yeah, it's. I, th- I think it's also, like I said, just a, a question of priorities and and. Tuchel has identified forwards that he really likes, irrespective of where they, whether they're out-and-out out number nines or not. I think he, in his first six months at Chelsea, he showed that he does like fluid forwards, lots of positional interchange. Um, and that's why the Lukaku signing kind of jarred with that a little bit. And it felt like 
it felt like Tuchel was going to try and shift direction. And in the end, he didn't. And it was just a really bad fit. Um, so I think maybe this is Tuchel going back to what he what worked in the first few months, albeit with, with slightly different personnel. Yeah, 100% agree, to be fair. Um, good point, sir. Again, so the last question we have, Liam, is on outgoings. We have Armando Broya, Conor Gallagher and Levi Colwell. Questions around those three. Now, especially Levi Colwell. We'll start with him, Liam, because for me personally, Chelsea can't throw Levi Colwell after what they've done with Mark Gurry and Fakaro Tamori. Unless it's a ridiculous price, then, I mean, Chelsea shouldn't be selling him. Do you think that, you know, if a bid gets put on the table, Chelsea might be tempted or, or you know, is, is he going to be looked at in pre-season more and it will be sort of a, a Tuchel decision? I think they'll all, all three of those that you mentioned will be looked at in pre-season. Um, and there are others that fit into this bracket as well, you know, Billy Gilmore. And um, yeah, I mean, there, there are probably about six or seven guys, I think, who are loosely in that bracket. Although those are the three that you would look at and probably say, based on last season's performances, would have the best chance going in of really making a mark and and forcing their being being this summer's Trevor Chalaber maybe. Um, Tuchel's going to have a look at them, but Chelsea are going to come under a lot of pressure, I think, um, in in terms of offers and interest, because it, it it it's become a bit of a vicious cycle, I think, for Chelsea with these with these young academy graduates. Um, because I think they and their their representatives have seen like you know the the kind of progress that Tarek Lamptey, Tino Livramento, Mark Gurhi have made going elsewhere, how quickly they've elevated. Um, and that's a very appealing path, understandably so. And at the same time, other clubs in the Premier League have seen the success of those players and become more become more aware of the potential that exists in Chelsea's academy to sign players who aren't necessarily, you know, day one Chelsea ready, but are Premier League ready. Um, and so I think a lot of Premier League clubs are looking a lot more closely. And with someone like Conor Gallagher, it's a slightly different scenario because he's, He's as Premier League proven as they come now. He's been in an England squad. You know, he's he's absolutely there. Um, there's no there's no hint of an unknown for for another Premier League club in trying to sign him. But Breuer's had one loan, good in stretches, not so good in stretches, um, but clearly has an awful lot of talent. Colwell hasn't played in the Premier League yet, but very much looks looks like he's going to have a long career at that level. So there's there's already there's already a lot of clubs looking and um and having conversations about these guys and so if if there's any hint i think from from Tuchel coming out of the first week or two of pre-season that they're not necessarily going to feature immediately in the first team plans or they or they're going to be on the fringes of things i think chelsea will have a lot of pressure um from other clubs and, and and maybe a lot of pressure from from the the people around those players, you know, because the last thing they want is is to stagnate. You know, they're they're all on great career trajectories right now, and they want to maintain that one way or the other, whether that's Chelsea or elsewhere. So, there there are some big decisions to be made, and those first couple of weeks of preseason are going to be very interesting to watch. 
Yeah, especially with Levi Colwell. Um, I know I had Nathan Gissing on the last episode and he said he'd heard from someone close to Colwell's camp that he just must play. That's the absolute priority. Whether or not that means that, you know, he's happy to sort of take a bench role or, you know, maybe he wants a loan. It's just, it's really hard, isn't it? Because as you've just said there with Livramento and others, they've seen that how much progression they can make if they go elsewhere. But at the same time, they love Chelsea. You know, Conor Gallagher loves Chelsea. Every All these academy products want to make it at Chelsea. So, again, out, outside influence as well, potentially, you know, factoring a difference, the pressure on them, you know, lots of different voices when you're younger can, can obviously be a, a, a major factor in some situations as well. So, yeah, guys, uh, listen, it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens with, with those guys. One more for you, Liam, then, because I know, um, you know, well, I don't know, but I don't want to take too much of your time. So <laughs> I've left this one to last because maybe it's more of the fantasy one. Some people are asking about Neymar and they said, you know, <laughs> that there's there's been, uh, you know, a few rumours lately that he's not happy at PSG. Um you know, I kind of responded to a couple of DMs like, come on, Chelsea aren't signing Neymar. And they're like, no, just, you know, just ask. Todd Bowley wants a statement signing. So anything you think about this Neymar situation, do you think he'll leave PSG? Um, Yeah, it's... It, the Neymar situation is a funny one because it, it does seem like, you know, P- Paris is now the kingdom of Mbappe. Uh, he's since he signed that contract, he's calling all the shots. He's the main man. Um, and they do need to raise money from elsewhere and they do need to trim their wage bill significantly. So I think they're, you know, I, I think the, the noise around PSG being very open, shall we say to, to letting Neymar go this summer is real. Um, and I can see why, you know, it, within the context of that Neymar and his people might be looking around at the clubs that might, you know, that that might be potentially feasible for him to join because it's a very short list when you, when you make the money that Neymar does and you have the sort of financial expectations that he does, there aren't many doors that you can knock on um, and, and find someone, you know, willing to meet you. Um, And that, you know, I, I I don't doubt that they that they have reached out to Chelsea. You know, when people say there's been contact, the important thing is who's initiating that contact. And I, I, I don't doubt that they've been reaching out to Chelsea and to other big European clubs just to gauge the market. Um, and perhaps you know, I if there if there was going to be interest from Chelsea I think it'd be more on the Bowley side than the Tuchel side if I'm honest I, th- I think that's I, I think that's the impression I, I would have because I just don't think Neymar fits into a Tuchel team in terms of the the collective responsibility there is to attack to defend um, I think he would there would need to be too many you look at the way PSG played you know even before Messi went there with with Neymar and Mbappe they were often like a broken team where you just had these two guys up the pitch who weren't accountable when when the team lost the ball, wouldn't defend, wouldn't track back, kind of only only involved in the pressing when they wanted to be. And then it got even worse with Messi last year. Um, and Tuchel, Tuchel teams don't play that way. I mean, most top teams don't play that way, but Tuchel teams certainly don't play that way. It, all 11 players, all 10 outfield players need to be uh, 
on a string, you know, and, and, and part of the, the collective structure. And I'm just not sure Neymar has the ability to do that. And then you add in the fact that he's missed so many games in France due to various injuries. Um, he's, he's a phenomenal talent, but there, there's just so much that comes along with that. I can, I can understand why maybe Boley is someone coming in from, you know, also cognizant of the financial or the, the commercial side of things and trying to grow the club in that sense, why it might appeal to him. But I just don't think it has a great deal of football appeal to Chelsea um, because it, while it, is, while it would be an element of stardust, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a good fit for a, for a two call team. Yeah, and I know some fans' response will be, you know, because I've actually said similar things to them, and especially in DMs, and they've sent me that picture where they said, uh, or Neymar said, but, you know, I'd die on the pitch for Thomas Tuchel, and I was like, well, it didn't really look like that, did it? But, <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, that would be obviously an amazing sign in terms of just just the whole fantasy of it, the, the more, more so the commercial side. I think, you know, David Ornstein as well from The Athletic, he said, um, that Todd Bowley had met George George Mendes, right? Um, and and yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo was a part of that discussion. Everyone was like, Todd Bowley's going after the commercial statement signing. But my response was, yeah, it would be amazing. But does he does he really fit in a you know in a, in a Tuchel team? I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's, well, just, th- it's just a weird one. Well, and I think the important thing there is that you know when you're when you're meeting agents like Mendes. And you're a brand, you're a brand new owner, um, that's that's completely green in terms of European football, or at least the perception of you is is as someone who is completely green in European football. Agents are going to, you know, try what they can, and and if they've got an expensive client that is maybe looking for a different home, they're going to, they the, their job is to ask the question. Um, so, I, you know, I think when when Bowley goes into these meetings he's going to get a lot of pitches like that. Um, and, uh, and the important thing I think is that Chelsea as a whole are not operating along those lines where they're not, they're not operating on, Oh, this would, this, this would be great commercially. This would be great for our engagement. You know, this would, uh, this would really help us win the conversation as it were, because I think we've seen, you know, that's a big part of why Cristiano Ronaldo ended up at Manchester United in the first place. And United have, have been run along those lines by the Glazers and by Woodward um, for quite a while. And it's not a good direction to go down if you actually want to win games on the pitch. So the, all the signs at the moment are that, you know, Bowley is, is, is having conversations. He's, he's, he's gathering as much information as he can, but the actual major decisions about who Chelsea target are being heavily guided by Tuchel. Um, and with in the absence of a sporting director and like a you know kind of coherent long-term structure for that vision that's probably the way it needs to be in this vision because ultimately there's no point Chelsea buying players that Tuchel can't maximize or or just doesn't want to work with yeah 100% agree it's all it's all about Tuchel this window for me and I think Todd Bowley has made it very clear that he's going to go after his targets and his targets only so I guess that is also very good because then Tuchel has little excuse next season, really. If he does get sort of five to six signings, his signings, he's got to make them work. And and we've got to hopefully really, really challenge. But also I know the fear is that 
sometimes when you sign too many players, it's kind of more like an adaptation season where, you know, they, they might not be, the team might not be as gelled until the season after. So it's going to be very, very interesting to sort of see what happens next season. So Liam, last one is it's just cropped up to my head. Outgoings in potential forward situations. We know that Chelsea or supposedly Chelsea have been offering the likes of Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner in a potential deal for Matthias De Ligt, who we mentioned earlier because his price tag is like, um, I think his release cost is 102 million. Obviously, Chelsea are not going to pay that. Chelsea, Tuchel, open to, to sort of selling Werner, Ziyech, you know, Pulisic, because there's not really been much talk on Hudson Adoy. It's more those three. So are they, are they open to offers from what you understand for those three? Well, just firstly on Hudson Adoy, I think he's in a slightly different scenario because I think he's in a slightly different bracket now because he missed so much of the end of last season through injury. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's even really a question of there being a market for him until he gets on the pitch and shows what he can do, you know, and shows what sort of physical state he's in. So I think the he he just needs a pre-season and, and, and we'll see where things go from there. But, you know, the, yeah, the, the three that, you know, you would put in the, in the likeliest, in the likeliest to leave are Ziyech, Werner, Pulisic. Um, and you only really have to look at the, the ranking of minutes played last season to know that, you know, they, they were, they were the ones who were at the bottom of Tuchel's pecking order who most, most often missed out on the matches that really mattered um, and so, yeah, I think there's, you know, I think those players are looking around, um, as they, as understandably should be the case. And I think Chelsea are looking around at, at possibilities given the, the attackers they're trying to bring in. You can't just bring in Sterling and Rafinha or Dembele and not let anyone go because then the, the log jam just gets even worse and the wage bill gets even more unwieldy. So it's, it's in everyone's interest to, to kind of look around and see what's there. Um, the question is whether a viable market develops for these guys. As I said earlier, they're all on Chelsea money and that makes it a very, very difficult, um, that makes it a very, very difficult sell. There aren't many clubs around who can actually... Wages as well, right? Definitely. Well, wages is, wages is the main thing, to be honest. Like You could probably go out and find a club that would be willing to pay a significant fee for Werner, for Pulisic, um, for Ziyech. But when you're adding Chelsea wages on top of that, it becomes quite onerous. Um, and and so that's why I think you're also getting, you know, Bowley pitching player plus cash deals um, because it's a, it's an easier way to, to realise some value for players who maybe aren't that, that crucial to you. But everything we've heard on, on Delict so far is that Juventus want straight cash. They want a big cash windfall for him. Um, and and so that that that's kind of where that negotiation is at the moment. And we'll we'll see whether that develops, whether they whether either club's position shifts. The other thing with player exchanges is they so rarely happen because everyone has to be happy with where they're going. Everyone has to be happy with the contract they're being offered. Um yeah, it's it's just so much more complicated when there are more than when there's more than one negotiation going on, and that's why these player swaps are so rare. Exactly, I hundred percent agree. I mean, with Bowley, it's like I think I can't remember who reported it. I, 
I think it actually might have been Simon Johnson. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he said that Todd Bowley had been going in with sort of a, a baseball mentality um, and sort of like going in with, with the swap deals. You know, I think with Inter Milan, he mentioned that Bowley's argument was, well, if you want Lukaku, it's only right that you give us someone back. So <laughs> that's pretty, it was funny to hear, to be honest, because like, as you said, swap, swap deals are so rare and it's like, Go on, Bowley, try it. But um, yeah, it didn't come out to be. I know we was looking at a few of the Inter Milan defenders, I think. So yeah, really, really interested to see what happens with the transfer market. And that is going to wrap up the episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening as well. We got through lots in this episode. Attackers, defence, outgoings, Marina, Buck, everything really. A jam-packed episode. Thank you so much, Liam, for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug? You know, everyone knows where to find you on The Athletic, but maybe the Straight Out of Cobham podcast. Yep, just uh, give us a listen. We're recording once a week um, at the moment and it'll go back to twice a week once the once the new season begins. But yeah, rounding up all the all the Chelsea news, um, myself, Simon Johnson, Don Firefield, Sam Parkin as well, uh, giving us more of an, a, an academy and ex-pro uh, focus and, and Matt Davis-Adams trying to keep the ship on, a, on an even keel and stop us all rambling on too much. But yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, give straight out a problem and listen when you can. And I think it's quite a good compliment to the other Chelsea podcasts that are out there. 100%. Go and give that a listen, guys. Really, really good and detailed podcast. They talk about lots of different things. So, um, yeah, 100%, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Go and listen to straight out of Cobham. Give this CFC 365 podcast a five star rating if you have enjoyed. And we will see you in the next one, hopefully soon with another transfer insider or someone else related to Chelsea. See you guys next time.